Yeah, so it was it was a lot of creativity, I guess, on that part. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you something that I don't think I've told you before. I'll be on stage at the Deal Maker Live event in Dallas, Texas on July 25th, 6th, and 7th. This event is going to be insane. Michael Blanc will be there. Hal Elrod will be there. Corey Peterson, Robert Helms, are you kidding me? Adam Adams, Joe Fairless, Andrew Cushman, Matt Faircloth, David Zook. Brian Burke, Michael Becker, Reed Goosen, Stan Hanford, and Neil Bawa. It's going to be insane. I hope to see you there. Just go to dealmakerliveevent.com forward slash Adam to get an extra 100 bucks off and not to pay full price, do the forward slash Adam. That link's in the show notes, so go ahead and go into the links and grab your tickets right now to Dallas. I'll see you on July 25th through 27th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today we are absolutely in for a treat. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, but before that, let me tell you a little bit about her. Nicole Marsh put herself through college out in uh, Michigan. She grew up in a small town. She absolutely moved with her boyfriend then, but now a husband, out in the Denver area. So they, they bought this large, like five-bed, four-bed, four-bath house, which is just way too big for them at the time. And what they said was, all we could do with all this extra space is try to make some money. So I, as she mentioned, she, she, she actually rents out the basement and later she moved to Conifer, which I love because I live in Conifer. It's a place that almost nobody knows about. Even if you're in Denver, you're like, where's Conifer? Uh, so it's up in the mountains and uh, out in the middle of nowhere. She actually, the house that she has there, she house hacked as well. So she basically turned it into a duplex and rents out half of it. Not only that, but she has several other rentals in Aurora. So let's welcome to the show, Nicole Marsh. How are you today? I'm doing great, Adam. How are you? Fantastic. Doing well. Thank you for asking. And, uh, and I think that it's funny because I was, I was complaining about a back issue when we started. And I always try to be so positive And you had to ask, how am I doing and now I have to share it with, with the whole audience that I think CrossFit kicked my back. So um, here's what I want to chat with you about a little bit is that first deal that you did when you were in uh, Littleton by Ken Carroll. Um, what, tell me a little bit more about that acquisition um, and we'll just start there. Okay, so it was back in 2015, so the market was, you know, just starting to get back up to, and we were pretty much priced out of everywhere in Denver, this ridiculous. So we were saving and saving for probably two years, hardcore, and then finally we found this house, and we were just able to talk them down to what we could actually afford, and we're like, let's get it, so we got it. And then as soon as we moved in, we're like, well, this mortgage is a little bit higher than our rent was, uh, let's see if we can rent out the basement. So we rented out the basement and then some other lady reached out to us and she's like, well, I really would like to rent out a room. So we ended up renting out a room as well. So then we had, what, two other people living with us, which was interesting because, you know, we've been living together for, I don't know, four years at that point. And so then we just took all that extra income and started saving more. 
<laughs> That's really cool. Okay, so what was the next step after after that? You're saving all of this income of you know house hacking with one person with a room, another person taking up the basement for you. And I will point out what you just mentioned because it is interesting. You're used to like living alone with this one person and now you're sharing uh, some of your space. So I can imagine um, that there were some challenges with getting used to something different. But I like that you did it anyway and you went ahead and made it work because that's really what got you into where you are today where you have so many different rentals now. But what was what was the second step after okay, you're saving more money. Now what? What happened after that? Well, we were just thinking about how we were going to invest it. And we were talked to a financial advisor and he was like, well, you should go into life insurance. And we're like, no, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Um, I actually had an uncle that was in, into investing out in California. So I kind of saw he had multifamily, single family. I thought that was interesting. So that's when I decided to reach out and put together a team of, I guess we got a real estate agent different from the one we first used because we needed someone a little bit more into rental properties and then a mortgage broker as well. Got it. Got it. Um, and I, I will point that out um, as far as the life insurance sales people, um, you know, and not to offend anyone who's listening and they say, well, I'm a, I'm a financial advisor and I sell that product. What I've, what I've noticed is um, financial advisors, in, in my experience with them, and I've had a lot of experiences with different ones, and they tend to push the products that they make the highest commission on. They, they don't always decide to just say what's better for my client. A lot of times they're like, oh, I make a lot of money on life insurance, so that obviously makes sense for for the people listening. And I think that we can, we can liken that a lot to um, real estate as well, which I should point that out a little is like, I, I make money, right? When I raise uh, equity for large multifamily apartment buildings. So I could have a vested interest in real estate, right? Uh, so that's something that everybody should just kind of think about when they're putting their money with a syndicator or when they're putting their money with a, a, a life insurance salesperson is um, ask yourself the question first before you do it on what you believe in. Study and, and figure out what you believe in. Now, if you find that life insurance is best for you, do it. And if you find that syndication is best for you, do it. So I just thought I'd go on a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, so today you have four rentals in, in um, Aurora, right? Correct, yep. Okay, so what happened with that property, the 5-4 that was in Littleton? So what happened was we were living in that and then we ended up buying um, the rental property. So we bought our first one, rented it out. Everything was going great. Decided to move into our second one. So those were both in 2016. We bought two. Um, we we're still making money on our 5-4. So we kept all of this income and we were just basically pulling it to keep buying more houses. Um, so then we ended up buying all four. And after we bought the fourth one, that's when we started looking kind of for our dream home, I would say, which happened way quicker than I was expecting. Um, mm -hmm. So then we ended up going, um, you know, under contract on that one. And that's we still the one, have this other one. That's the one in Conifer, the dream home? Yes. yes. Okay. okay, cool. Um, and so, like, first question that I would have is, is you decided to move into this Conifer home, your dream home. 
And it was, like you said, it was the house that you kind of always wanted to be in, but you are still um, splitting it up as basically a, a duplex. So uh, why not just live there? Why are you doing it as a duplex? So this house is pretty big for us again. I would guess we're attracted to big houses. So it's 3,600 square feet. And when we first looked at it, that's what we saw. There was two entrances and we're like, this is perfect. This is completely pretty much separate where we could just lock the door and have it mm. separate. So we ended up thinking when we bought it that that's what we were gonna do with it to kind of offset the mortgage because living in the mountains is a little bit more pricey and we live on the side of a mountain. So <laughs> it's a little bit different than living in the suburbs. Yeah, how, how is snow removal? I, we just had like uh, my, my pig pen, but I have, ran, I have chickens, we've got pigs. We've got, it's, it's crazy, but um, the pig pen uh, has got like, it had like four feet of snow just the other day. Like, how is it when you're living on the side of the mountain, how do you get out of, out of conifer on a, on a bad snow day? Well, on the bomb cyclone last week, I guess we were just snowed in for a little bit, but um, we have the guy that used to own the house. He grew up there. He still owns the barn down from us, so he still plows for us. Luckily, we're very lucky. (laughs) Hey, if we buy your house, uh, will you plow plow the house? (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's creative real estate right there. Um, All right, so the first question that I have about uh, all of this is that a lot of people are listening, they might be asking themselves, you know, how did she or they afford, you know, the down payment for that very first house? You know, how did the numbers look when they moved from that first one to the second two rentals in 2016? So if you could kind of go in some of the numbers of how you made it all work with getting this many houses in just a few short years. Yeah, so it was it was a lot of creativity, I guess, on that part. Um, we did get a small inheritance. Um, that uncle I was talking about did end up passing away suddenly. So I kind of wanted to bring his um, love for real estate back. So that's where a little bit of it went. Um, some of it was savings. And then when we bought our dream home, we had to get a HELOC on our first house and put that HELOC into the down payment for our dream house. And then what we did was we did a quick close on that one. So we actually had some time where we were able to move to our other house and sell that, put that one on the market, sold it the first weekend, three-week close, <laughs> and got out of there to get that HELOC to pay for the down payment. Uh, would you, would you um, can we back up just a tiny bit on, on the HELOC? I, I know that there's a lot of people that I've met at my different real estate groups that I run. Um, and... A lot of people, they always ask, what is HELOC? What are are they saying? So I just want to at least uh, define it. Um, So would you tell me a little bit more about what it is, how you got it, how you utilized it as a creative strategy? So it's a home equity line of credit. Um, We used it, so we have, you know, we put our down payment on that original house. And then over the two years we lived there to avoid the capital gains, we had a lot of, I guess it was, you know, it gained in value. What is that appreciation? Yeah. Those two years. Yeah. And then we used that. We had an appraiser come out, you know, and he gave us a certain sum of money that we could use towards that mortgage, I guess, pull from the mortgage. And that's what we used. And we knew it was going to be a tight timeline because we didn't want to make you make payments 
with interest every month on that money that you take out. So we just try to do it as quick as possible so we didn't minimize those payments and use that chunk of money for a different house. Cool. Awesome. And um, so when you moved to Conifer, what was your way of, of getting into your dream house? What, what money did you have to pull from to, to make all that happen? It was literally just the HELOC money. That HELOC money was enough for the 20% down payment on that. So we avoided PMI and we just paid off the HELOC afterwards. We literally didn't have the money on hand because we just bought a house <laughs> a couple months before. Okay. And then, uh, so you bought one in 15, you bought two in 16, and then what happened in 2017? Technically, we bought three because we bought this dream house in December of 2017, and then we ended up selling our house in January of 2018. So it was just back to back. It was pretty much every six months, it felt like, for a while there. Okay. And so what's, what's the plan in the future? Are you going to, are you going to be going faster and faster? Are you going to be going six months to five months to four months to three months? Or are you going to be doing it slower? What's your, what's your plan? So we took a year off just to kind of see where the market was and it's stabling out a little bit in here in Denver. Cause for a while there, it was just a little bit crazy. Um, now we're looking at renting out by bedroom. So we're looking at different houses that are big enough that, you know, have quite a few bathrooms too, maybe a four three to see if we can do the whole rent by bedroom, which we have never done. Um, the rent per bedroom, I've heard some people bring up something called co-living. Is this similar to co-living or is it completely different? It's, comp well, it's similar. So you have, like if it's a four three, you would have four separate leases with everyone in the, each individual bedroom. So you, the bedrooms would be able to, you'd have to be able to lock them off separately and then people would share the living room and the bathroom and the kitchen. Okay, got it. So a question for you as an experienced landlord, do you, do you, well, first off, do you manage your own properties or do you hire a property manager? We do manage our own properties and it's a lot of work, but okay. it, we've learned a lot of things. So, so far so, so good. I, I like pointing that out a little bit. Um, well, First off, in 2008, when I was running my first uh, that I owned, so I had a triplex that I was house hacking, similar, kind of similar to what you're doing. Um, and I, I didn't do a very great job managing my own property that I lived in and that, that they knew that I was the owner. And that's why these days I hire a property manager because I, I can get out of it and let somebody who's a pro take care of it. But uh, just to share a couple of my horror stories, and I'd like to hear if you have any. Um, once upon a time, one of my roommates uh, didn't come home. And I was wondering what was going on. I couldn't get a hold of him. Cell phone wasn't working. And yeah, they had cell phones back in 2008, if you could <laughs> believe it. Um, and so here I was just trying to figure out how to get a hold of this guy. And so... And I've always been the type of person that respects other people's privacy. So I, I after a long enough time, I broke into his room, um, and there was there was uh, drugs on the floor. There's there was like a spoon and whatever else tourniquets, and uh, so I don't actually know what it was right now. But like it, there were spoons and lighters and tourniquets. So somebody listening might 
have an idea of what that might be. But, um, but it was really rough. I, he, he was in jail is where he was. And, um, and I just, I did a bad job at vetting the people who were moving into my properties. And uh, then during the downturn in like 11, 2011, they couldn't really pay very well. Some of my people couldn't pay. And my heart, I just had this like, I was just like, okay, okay, when can you get it to me? They'll be like, oh, I think I can get it on Friday. All right, you know, that's, to, to me, that's like, that solves the problem. You have it on Friday, everything else is water under the bridge, you know, it's, it's whatever. And, and I kept on doing that, right, and, until, um, until I lost that property because I couldn't pay for it anymore because everybody was taking advantage of, of me being like, oh, Friday, okay, on the first, you'll have it all on the first. And then I just went ahead and fronted all the money. Uh, do you have any uh, horror stories, any learn, lessons learned from managing your own properties over the years? The biggest story that we just had, well, we're having a lot of issues with water. So that's, you don't ever want to have water leaks in your house. I think every, all four properties have had issues. Um, but the, one of the bigger issues is we had someone with a small dog move in because we allow pets with pet rent and pet security and the dog was not potty trained and we had no idea. So a couple months after, cause we do a couple months, you know, we do walkthroughs just to make sure. And there was just urine and feces all over the place. Then kind of had to get them out of there. So that was, that was quite an interesting one, but. So yeah. did you, did you lose money on the turn for that one? No. So that one was an interesting one too, because there was four roommates living together and they didn't really want that roommate in there. So she ended up kind of moving out on her own and we got someone else to fill that spot. So it worked out. They didn't all have to move out. Okay. What about you? So you mentioned the urine and, and other words that were similar. Um, <laughs> So, like, what did you have to do there? Did you pay for the carpet to be replaced? Was it was that expensive? Did you have to repaint it so it smelled fresh? Um, and and did the old tenant pay for that? What do you what, what do you what kind of was going on there? So, with those tenants, we made them pay first month first and last last month rent and security deposit. So she had quite a bit of money into the game already. Um, and luckily she kept the dog in the basement. So it was just a little bit of carpet. So we ended up taking up that carpet and yeah, her security deposit covered it luckily. Okay. And one thing uh, that as far as like a law in Denver, which is not always going to be wherever you are, wherever the listener is going to be. Uh, one thing that we need to do in Denver, just on this point that Nicole mentioned is they ended up taking the money out of the security deposit. Now, um, if in, at least in Denver, if you don't give them a receipt and document why, what you took out of their security deposit in a short enough time, it's usually 30 days. If you don't give them the receipt and say, this is everything that we did, then the tenant is legally able to keep their own, uh, properties. So if you want, and if, especially if you're in Denver, there was Mark Cunningham, I think it's M-A-R-K Cunningham don't have time to look up the episode number for you, but if you go back to something like episode 70 or give or take, you know, 25, um, you'll see, you'll hear Mark Cunningham give you a lot of advice if you're running your own properties and a lot of the laws are specific uh, to Denver, Colorado and uh, these areas around here. 
Um, now, you um, had, is there any other issues that you ran into? I, I know that I wanted to get a few from you and you mentioned that one instance where they had a, a dog, uh, a small dog. Uh, was there anything else that you kind of ran into and learned a lot from? So one of the bigger issues is I'm younger in age and sometimes it's hard for people to take you seriously, I guess, when we first started out. So now we're very upfront with everyone on what we need and what the lease says. And hmm. I guess that's one of the bigger takeaways that I've had because we have a wide range of people renting from us. All right. Give, give us some more details on that. Like, tell me more about what you mean by, um, by keeping, you know, making sure that everything's up front with them and making sure that, you know, you, that how does that solve future problems? So a good example of that is we always have, it always comes up every summer is people mowing their grass because that's part of this, the lease is mow your lawn. So we're very, you know, we do all of our houses. We have three on the same street. So kind of every time we go over there, we see all three of them and then we hike over 10 minutes to see the other one. So we just keep an eye on everything. Um, our lease is pretty strict with what it says. You know, you have to pay on the first, and if you don't pay on the first, it's a $50 late fee for the first day and then 25 every day after. So I think things like that, you know, when you enforce things like that, it just helps everything run a little bit smoother. Okay. And, keep going, keep going. I know it sounds like you have more to it, and I want to hear it. And then another thing is, too, um, we have – it's always hard for people to – tell you when there's issues for some reason because we've had the water leaks and stuff and so if you're very upfront with people like we're not going to be mad we just want to fix the house and keep everything up so I think just having open communication too between tenants um, like I'll be at the head of a couple properties where I just talk to the people and then my husband takes over too so we kind of split it up because it's a little easier but as long as we have the open communication I talk to him about once a month just to make sure everything's running smooth that's probably a big takeaway. Ah, this this is very interesting, and I think this could really help people. It's something that I haven't considered myself. So, what I think you're saying is, you know, your husband takes two of the properties to communicate with those uh, residents, and you take two of the properties to communicate with them. And it sounds like you're being intentional about asking the residents, the tenants, if there's any issues with the house that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Just yep. every month. Like yes, clockwork. Every, yeah. So when do you the rent. do that? Like um, you're collecting rent, you know, on the first or it's 50 bucks extra on the second. But um, is that when you're doing it? Like you're collecting the rent and saying, by the way, how is everything at the house? Or do you space it out intentionally to be like halfway through the month where you'll maybe send them a text message on the 15th and, and ask? Um, it depends on what we're doing. A lot of times I try to keep it near the first with rent because a lot of people, I guess, were on a little bit more of a, a lax way to talk. I'll just text them. So it's easy just to text, say, hey, how is everything going? Is everything going okay? And then that's usually helps. But um, a lot of times, at least when we're renting out houses, they're all rented at different times. So we're over there. So sometimes we'll just see them in the yard or something or stop by and say, say hi. How, um, how often do you have tenants that pay on the second or later? That has only happened twice so one of them was our personal house actually it was the first time he was paying rent so that was a little eye-opener because we've never had that issue with people living with us um but then the other time it was like issues with 
the way they were sending it or they didn't send the ACH on time. And sometimes like the first month we'll let it go, but after that we're pretty strict. As far as the ACH, is this something where um, you're able to completely automate it so that they don't have to try to do it? It just uh, withdraws it out of their account automatically? Or how, does, how, how have you made it so that you've had such a good track record only two times late since 2015? Um, well, the only, I guess we remind them on the first that it's due, but they're the ones that are responsible for sending it. So I think part of that is too the background and credit check and just being really upfront at the very beginning. Um, we turned down a lot of people too. So it's not easy getting tenants. Yeah, so I can imagine that. And I think one of my issues when I was running my own properties is that I, um, I planned on doing everything myself. And I remember in, maybe in 2008, 9, 10, 11, it's harder to get tenants. Uh, I don't mean to give myself any type of excuse, but perhaps that's part of it. I just, I remember, um, I remember getting desperate and just saying like, all right, just need somebody in so I don't have to pay the whole uh, mortgage myself. So how do you get out of the mindset that I had when I was managing my own properties? Uh, today, as we record, I have almost 800 uh, doors. I don't manage any of them. Um, and, uh, but if for the listener who, who doesn't have their own property management companies taking care of everything, how do you get out of the mindset where I was, where I was saying, I just need somebody to pay something because like, it's either that or, or I have to pay for this myself to where you are, uh, which I think is, you know, very well excel, excelled above anything that I was when I was running my own, where you can actually stand your ground and say, nope, nope, I'm good. I, I need a good tenant. That's more important. Uh, so for the listener who's, who can see, you know, both of those, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, how do you, can you help them to be able to go on your side, which has protected you and made it so you've only had two times where they didn't pay? Well, the main thing is we show the houses. So every person that comes in, we meet and we like to talk with them for a couple minutes. Um, it is hard because we've turned down people that were like, oh, they could be good, but you know, they don't meet the credit or they're, they just had an eviction or something. Um, mm. So... It's, it's hard to keep that mindset, especially when you get close to the point where, you, you know, you're going to have to start paying. But is, for us, I guess it's easier because over the period of the year or whatever they're going to lease, we do year leases, um, you know there's going to be less problems. And for me, I feel like that's more important than having to put a month rent. Or if someone, even if you don't find someone on the first, maybe you'll find someone on the 15th and you can prorate that month. So you're really not losing the full month. Um, luckily in Aurora, Denver, there's a ton of people moving out here, so it's a little bit easier. So I, I think it would be hard with somewhere where it's harder to rent to tell people <laughs> to wait and hold out. Awesome. All right. I want to, I want to get back to the renting per bedroom. It sounds like that's your next step is to start renting properties out per each bedroom. Have you you've kind of started that because when you were in, um, in 2015, I remember you had somebody in your basement, but you also had one woman, I believe it was that said they just wanted a bedroom. So you went ahead and did that. 
So tell me more about how it's going to look when you're renting by the bedroom. Is the reason for doing it because you get way more income? Is it going to be stressful, especially if you're managing it yourself? Kind of give me your plan of renting things out per bedroom. Yes, it's going to be very stressful, and I know that. Um, so the big plan is we're going to look for these houses now and try to go under contract and get them. Um, we might rent them out for the next couple of years as the full house just to get a feel for it. Because in the next few years, I'm planning, we're planning at least one of us stepping away from our full-time job because right now it's all full-time jobs for both of me and my husband. Well, if you can imagine, each room is a lease, and that's four times more work than just leasing a house. So I know it's going to be a lot more work, but it, like you said, the return is so much greater. So we're willing to try it out. And I've heard a lot of good things from people in this area. Have you considered short-term rentals? We have actually. Um, I've kind of looked at the traveling nurse thing, just like, hmm. but um, for in terms of Airbnb, that just seems like a lot of work. And I know in Denver, it's finicky, like downtown to even be able to do that. You have to live in I believe in the residence. So and if we did short term, it would be more of something that was a little bit more stable, like a traveling nurse where we furnished the house and had someone there three to six months. Awesome. Awesome. And I will point out um, one of the other things that I remember you saying a little bit earlier when you were talking about how you manage your own properties and you, I, I think the direct quote, and I didn't write it down, was it's a lot of work. It, um, and so I want to just talk a little bit about active passive versus passive passive. So when you're um, managing your properties, how passive is it? Well, there will be months where it's very quiet and it's very nice and everyone's paying on time and we don't have to worry about it. And then there's months like this past month where we had three different houses had water leaks that we're dealing with. One of them we just submitted an insurance claim on and then we were renting out a house. So we're, we've been over there every week for the past, I don't know, five, six weeks. So it really depends. I mean, when you're renting out a house, it's really busy. When they're all filled and everything's going smooth, it's nice and quiet. So do you have any passive, passive investments? Like any, anything that you basically make money on but you don't have to manage or worry about a water leak? Yeah, so we have a brokerage account that we kind of try to keep as a backup just in case something happens. We do have emergency fund uh, and then we're maxing out 401ks and IRAs. That's awesome. Awesome stuff. Uh, one, one quick thing, have you ever uh, considered doing a um, self-directed retirement account? Self-directed IRA, self-directed 401k? We talked about it. So as soon as at least one of us doesn't have a full-time job, that's where we're okay. going to do. Cool, cool. Yeah, so I know a lot of people that, um, that move their money uh, because the returns can be higher in uh, like a, a passive investment with um, syndication instead of being like in the stock market. Last year, it, it was growing. It was growing. It was like people were seeing 10, 12, 15, 20%. And then all of a sudden, it went all the way back down to what it was in the beginning of the year. Um, and so people have self-directed some of their stuff into different real estate investments. I, I like syndication. I think it's a super, super good way. All right. So we've learned, we've learned a ton from you and I am extremely grateful for your time. Is there any uh, advice that you would share with somebody who is really considering getting into real estate for the first time 
but they didn't know how to do it. What advice would you give to that one person? I would say join a local meetup group or at least go to one. There's tons of real estate meetup groups all over the place and just talk to people, see what people are doing in your area, see what works, see uh, different options and just, yeah, come up with a plan. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all, all of your wisdom that you've learned over the past, you know, five, five plus years uh, in real estate. Really, really appreciate it. I will let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. I hope you got value out of today's episode. And before I let you go, if you did get a lot of value, please feel free to hop over to iTunes and let us know your thoughts and impressions. I love it when I get five-star ratings and reviews from our listeners. And so if, if you want to do that, I'd be super, super grateful. And as a reminder, I'll be on stage at the DealMaker Live event. If you want to go to dealmakerliveevent.com forward slash Adam, you actually save an extra hundred bucks. Who's going to be there? Well, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Advisors will be there. Corey Peterson, Hal Elrod, Robert Helms, Adam Adams, that's, that's me. Joe Fairless, Andrew Cushman, Matt Fairclough, Dave Zook, Brian Burke, Michael Becker, Reed Goosens, Dan Hanford, and Neil Bawa. It's going to be insane. I hope to see you there. Go to dealmakerliveevent.com forward slash Adam. 